Well, we're so glad you guys are here today. If today's your first time, man, we're so uh, excited that you've joined us today. I hope you felt today like somebody was expecting you, like somebody was waiting for you, man. We, 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 we um, at the gathering, we, we just believe this is a place you can belong before you believe. We, we believe that the gathering is a place for you to get on this very clear, very simple spiritual pathway that you might know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And so we hope you're able to do that here today. Today is a really big day for us as an ARC church. And so uh, maybe you, you may or may not know that we are a part of a network of churches called the Association of Related Churches. This is our, our network. This is our family. These are our, our people that we are a part of. And, uh, you know, we actually, we don't talk a lot about finances and money uh, from the stage here at the gathering. I don't ask for money often or anything like that, but we do give. And we, 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 have this, we have this idea that it's better instead of giving a little bit to a lot of places, that it's better to give a lot to a few places so that you can be more focused and have greater impact. And so I wanted to share with you this morning that because of your generosity, this is a generous church. We're only two and a half years old, uh, but th- today there are 21 new churches launching all over our country with the ark, life-giving churches that are going to bring hope and the gospel of Jesus into cities in desperate need of it today. And the gathering has given $22,500 to those churches to launch today. Isn't that awesome, somebody? Come on. Let's praise God for what he's doing today. Give him the glory, man. Uh, we are so excited to be a part of the Association of Related Churches, to be a part of all these new life-giving churches that are starting all over our country today, um, to the 21 churches that are launching all over our country today. Our, we're, our prayers are with you. We believe your cities will forever be changed. We believe that it will never be the same again. We are excited for what God is going to do uh, through those 21 churches today. It's a historic day. It's the largest launch day in the history of the ark and so we are excited about that. Well, today we are in a series called Identity. We began last week looking at the life of Daniel and studying his, his story here in this series called Identity. Here's the idea. We become like the culture that we live in. We become like the culture that we live in. A study was done recently that showed 93% of people who moved to Asheville buy a pair of Chacos within the first year. This is not a real study, but it's one that I've been conducting, and so far it's what I've seen to be true. <laughs> I had a pair before I moved here, just FYI. Now listen, I, I, I think around us, the, the longer that we spend in a culture, the more we adapt to the people, the beliefs, the tastes, and the tolerances of that culture. But what do we do when culture shifts and it begins to challenge the worldview that our identity is based in. As Christians, who will we become when culture shifts and stands against what we believe in? Do we disappear into the crowd and try not to be noticed? Do we alter our version of Christianity to fit with the culture that we live in? Do we go to war with the culture around us and stand against Everyone who opposes our beliefs. As we study the book of Daniel over the next few weeks, our goal is to answer those questions. Uh, Daniel was taken out of Jerusalem and Judah into Babylon and had to live there in this pagan culture that was very different than the world he grew up in 
for 70 years. And for 70 years, while Daniel was in Babylonia, he showed us what it looks like to stand firm and love well. So in this series, as we study Daniel's life, our goal is to learn how to do the same. Today, we're going to talk about what it really looks like to stand firm. What are the consequences? What is the outcome? How do we do it? How do we stand firm in a culture that defies our identity in Jesus? How do we stand firm in a culture that tries to uh, um, redefine what it means to be a Christian? What does it look like for us to stand firm in that, in that world? Next week, we'll talk about the mentality of the people that live in Babylon and how we adjust to that mentality and how we can stay in the mentality of Jesus. And then on the last week of this series, we'll look at what it really looks like to love well in a culture. So that's where we're going. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14 says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Stand firm and love well. Now maybe if you follow Jesus uh, and you live around here, you, you don't feel like your faith is under attack on a regular basis. Maybe you feel like, you know what, it's still the Bible Belt, and I feel pretty comfortable believing what I believe, how I believe it, where I live. And maybe that's true. And honestly, there are so many places around this world where to stand firm could cost you your life. But maybe if you can't relate to that just yet, you can understand what it feels like to go out to lunch with a Christian friend, and then they start to say the blessing just like at volume 100, you know, just like a little bit or even a lot of bit too loud, and you're just like, hey, bro, let's be cool here, you know? It's like, isn't there like a rule that you don't have to say a blessing out loud if you're at a restaurant? Like, come on, man. People are going to hear us. They're going to know what you're doing. They're going to do something weird to our food because of this moment, you know. Maybe you know what that feels like. One time I was in a coffee shop here in West Asheville, and, uh, and I was in this, this a smaller coffee shop, and it was quiet in there. They had the music down too low. How many of you know they got to turn the music up a little bit because it feels real weird to try to talk to somebody when everyone in this little house-turned-coffee shop can hear every word I'm saying, and so I'm in there, and it's crowded. Everybody's working. They're on their computers, you know. It's quiet but it's crowded, lots of people. I'm sitting on the opposite end of this place from the door. Well, all of a sudden, the door opens, and this pastor buddy of mine, he sees me, and while he's holding the door across the coffee shop at volume 100, it says, well, hey, brother, how is God blessing you today? And I'm just like, no, no. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna know. <laughs> they're going to they're going to hear you. Don't call me pastor, man. I live here. You know, and, and, and man, I, I mean, maybe you know the feeling. You go out to lunch with a group of friends, and one person starts holding the hands of the people beside them to pray, and you're like, what is wrong with you? Are we married? Why are you trying to hold my hand during a prayer? Maybe you know what it feels like just to feel a little bit awkward in the place that you live because of the faith that you believe. Now, maybe for you, it is a little bit more intense than that. Maybe, maybe around your workplace, one of the favorite conversations that people have at the water cooler is to talk about how terrible Christians are, to talk about how much they're annoyed by Christians, to talk about how much they hate those flyers they get in the mail, <laughs> to talk about the different ways that Christians are intolerant, exclusive, hateful people. And maybe you know what it feels like to be standing in a workplace and that conversation comes up and you wish you could just disappear and become invisible because what if they find out that you're one of them? 
Or maybe you recently entered into a relationship with Jesus. Or you're exploring a relationship with Jesus. And your entire group of friends doesn't like Christians. And so you know what they're going to think about you if they find out that you are one or that you're thinking about becoming one. And you're worried about what, the way that they'll treat you because worse yet, you know how they'll treat you. So now you've got to decide, what, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to be a martyr to your group of friends? Are you supposed to break up with these friends and only hang out with church people now? What's the right protocol to be a Christian in this world today? Maybe you know what this feels like. In Daniel chapter 3, we get this amazing story of Daniel's three friends, and they stand firm no matter what the cost to them. So let's look at their story today and see what we can learn from their example. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 is where we'll begin the story. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. That's a lot of gold. Come on, Nebuchadnezzar, you got the gold. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come up to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges. It didn't need to list them all like two times in a row, am I right? And all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither. Zither is a great name for an instrument. We need a zither on this stage. Am I right, Robert, if you're out there? Zither, next Sunday. Come on, man. Zither. Uh, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This is the expectation that society places on us. Whenever there is a new image or a new God or a new cultural icon that everybody around us worships, a new belief system, a new tolerance, a new way of thinking, everybody is expected to fall in line culturally or be cast out. You can either do what we're all doing or you can feel the repercussions of standing out. Nebuchadnezzar commands people to do this. And then it says, that whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped this image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears one of these instruments must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you remember last week, we talked about the first time they stood firm in this culture when they said, we're not going to eat the food from the king's table. 
and test us. See what happens if we don't do it. We, we want to love you well. We don't want you to get killed to the guy who, who was over them. And so they said, just test us. Give us 10 days and see what happens. Well, they were healthier than everybody else after their vegan diet of 10 days. I don't know what that means. I still eat meat. And then after that, they, they were given positions of prominence in the government. They were set into positions of prominence because God showed them favor for standing firm. So these guys are now in a position of providence. But there are these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. In verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship this image of gold I have set up. Now, he says, I'll give you one more chance. Here's your moment. Here's your cultural confrontation. Here's your moment to either stand firm or fall down on your face. What are you going to do? He says, now when you hear this, the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. We'll call it good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is more intense than the confrontations that we typically face. But we know what it feels like to have this moment where it's all laid out on the line. One more chance. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand firm as somebody who follows Jesus? Or are you going to shift and be more like the culture that you live in? Are you going to agree with me and, and the beliefs that I have and that the TV says I should have and that my Facebook news feed says I should have? Or are you going to believe what your God has told you to believe? What are you going to do in this moment? The first thing that we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the way they respond here is that to stand firm takes courage. Because this is scary. Ooh, this is scary. Maybe you've got butterflies right now just thinking about a moment that you faced like this one. A time where you had to think, what, what, what's going to be the outcome here? What will happen if I stand firm? What will they do to me? Probably not throw you in a blazing furnace. But that's what these guys were facing. And, they, and here, here's their response. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, and in one version it says, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried about what will happen to us. Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They stand firm. This takes courage. This took some serious composure to say to the king of Babylon, who is at that moment stoking a blazing furnace to get ready if they were to stand firm. And it wasn't that these guys weren't scared in this moment. They're human. They're were, they were guys. They were scared terrified, but they had courage. You can be scared and have courage at the same time. You can be nervous and stand firm in the same moment. You just got to have courage. Honestly, you need God to give you this kind of courage. I think so often we think that we're ready to stand firm in, in, in who we are and what we believe when this moment comes. So when your group of friends starts slamming Christians or the church or even your church, 
And you, you, you're, you've, been pre- you've been stoking yourself up to this. You've been practicing in the mirror at home. You can do it. You can do it. I actually go to this church. These are good people. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking like, I'm going to use this moment to say, no, you don't know what a real Christian looks like. Like, this is what it's supposed to be. Maybe you're like ready to just stand firm. Or maybe when somebody asks you, maybe you're just waiting for somebody to ask you if you go to church. And, and this is a terrifying moment for you because usually you just say, oh, no, no, not me, so that you won't stand out. But maybe you've been psyching yourself up so that you could just say, yeah, I do. Actually, I go to the gathering and I love it, man. And, and you should come with me sometime. Maybe you're stoking yourself up for this moment. Then the moment comes and you're scared. And we got to have courage. Standing firm takes courage. Maybe you're worried that if you stand firm, people might think you're one of those Christians. People might think that you're, that you're a follower of Jesus who actively opposes them. They might put this label on you. You might get ostracized, thrown out. But here's how Jesus puts it in John 16, 33. He's sitting there with the disciples and he says, you know, in this world you will have trouble. He's giving them this encouraging speech right before he's to be crucified. He looks them in the eyes and he says, you know, guys, in this world you're going to have some troubles. If you're following Jesus correctly, then there will be times when who you are will be at odds with who the world wants you to be. It's the nature of the game. It's what it's supposed to look like. I know maybe you came into church today to be encouraged, and I'm very sorry. Come back in two weeks. It'll be very encouraging. We're going to talk about what it means to love well. What you need to know today is that it doesn't always go that way. Jesus says, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Don't worry. I'm here. I've overcome the world. See, these three guys were afraid, but they knew that God was their protector and their creator and their destination. See, Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. Yes, you will have trouble. Standing firm, it may cost you something. It may cost you everything, but have courage. Take heart. I have overcome the world. We've got to pray for courage. Our prayers have got to look like, God, give me the courage to stand firm firm in the moments that I want to hide. Second thing we can learn from these guys is that standing firm takes faith. Standing firm takes faith. We have to have faith that God is good either way. You got to have faith that God is good either way. Maybe people will accept you for who you are and what you believe. Maybe people will be okay with it. Maybe. Maybe they won't. Maybe you'll be able to still fit in, or maybe you'll become an outcast. We've got to have faith that God is good either way it swings, and that if we honor Him, He will give us the purpose and satisfaction and joy that we are deeply in need of. Look at the courage and the faith of our three heroes. Daniel chapter 3, 17 through 18, it says, If we are thrown into the flaming furnace, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. These guys are tough, right? They're looking at the king of Babylon. He's got a burning furnace over here. He says, bow and worship the thing I've decided we should all worship, or I will kill you. And they looked at them and say, they said, listen to me. We believe what we believe. We're not going to worship him. And so our God will deliver us. Our God will deliver us out of your hands, uh, your majesty. You know, they threw that in there in the end, just out of a hope. 
And, and that's big faith. We're going to stand firm and God will keep us from the persecution that will follow. And they believed it. But their faith wasn't just in the deliverance. It was in the deliverer. See, they, their faith wasn't just in that God would rescue them from persecution. It was that God was good even if he didn't. It says, if he doesn't. God will deliver us, your majesty, but if he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even then, we will never, under any circumstance, serve your gods or worship this gold statue you have erected. Take courage and have faith. Believe that God is good no matter what. That we, we believe our God will deliver us from this moment, but even if he doesn't, even if we are outcast, even if we are thrown out, even if it doesn't work out the way we want, I'm going to pray and ask for an outcome, but have faith that even if God doesn't answer the prayer I w the way I want him to answer it, that he is just as good tomorrow as he is today, that he never changes, and that even if he doesn't pull me out of this, that my hope is that I will see him one day, and it will all be good anyways. And so no matter what you do to me, I will not worship this God that you have erected. That's good right there. That's faith. They have faith. Faith isn't just believing in the answer that we hope God will give us. It's believing in God no matter what the answer is. And notice that this is their moment of standing firm. However, they don't use it as a platform to stand against something. They don't tell Nebuchadnezzar how evil he is. They don't come up against his entire nation. They never did that. In all of the story of Daniel, Daniel and his, his friends, they never come out against entire groups of people. That's not what they do. Every time they're given a platform, they use it to stand for something. I think it's time for Christians here in our community to be known a lot less for things that we stand against and a lot more for things that we stand for. I think if we're going to stand firm, it's going to be a lot more effective if instead of standing against things firmly, we stand for something firmly, for freedom, for purpose, for people. Listen, people are never our enemy. In no circumstance are people your enemy. Our enemy exists in the spiritual realm. People are not our enemy. And no group of people, no matter how adamantly they come up against who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that group of people is not our enemy. We stand for things, not against them. Standing firm takes faith and requires us to be for something bigger than ourselves. Let's look at the rest of this story. Daniel chapter 3 Verses 19 through 27. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, one of the things that happens when we don't believe the same things as one another is we start to hate the people that don't believe what we believe. This happens on both sides. It happens in, to Christians. It happens to people who don't like Christians. We end up hating you because you don't believe what I believe. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He hates these guys because they don't believe what he wants them to to believe. This is, this is a real problem in our culture right now. It, it's what's going on between conservatives and liberals. Instead of believing that at the core there is a person just trying to fight for what they believe is right, we believe that that person is fundamentally wrong and evil and we start to hate people. 
But we were never supposed to hate people just because they believe differently than us. Notice that's not what Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego do in this situation. It's what Nebuchadnezzar does. People get angry. It says, Nebuchadnezzar became furious and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes, I do appreciate this fashion update here, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into this fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. This is awesome. This is what we call, in theology, they call it a Christophany. It's a moment in the Old Testament when scholars and theologians believe Jesus was present. You see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus didn't just start existing uh, in Bethlehem, that Jesus always was there, that he, that he was there in the beginning, that He was there at creation, and that for a brief moment, He stepped out of heaven to come intercede on our behalf. But other than that, He was mostly seated at the right hand of God, except there's a few times in the Old Testament where something crazy is going on, and Jesus is like, hey God, could I, could I get in there with those guys right now and just freak that dude out? Would that be cool? And the father's like, yeah, that'd be great. Why don't you go ahead? And Jesus is just walking around there. He's like, what's up, Nebs? It's me. Oh, you didn't see me coming. You know? And so these guys are all walking around in the furnace, just totally unharmed. And King Nebuchadnezzar sees them. And it says, he then approached the opening of the furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Sounds like King Nebuchadnezzar got a new religion all of a sudden. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. These guys even smelled good. Servants of the Most High God. Here is the secret that your enemy does not want you to know. Standing firm inspires others. You see, your enemy wants you to believe that if you stand firm for what you believe in, you will be made an outcast. That you will be ostracized. That you will be told you are closed-minded and foolish. We believe this in our core. And you know what? Sometimes you will. Sometimes that will be the outcome. Jesus said uh, in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. But that's not the only outcome. It's not the only possibility. That's not the only way that it can go. Sometimes when you stand firm, standing firm inspires others. When you're finding freedom and they're falling apart. When you're discovering your purpose and they're longing for meaning. When you're 
finding life-giving community, and they're desperately lonely. When the relationships that you're in are thriving, and theirs only bring them pain, people will begin to notice, and you're standing firm will begin to inspire others. Look at the end of the story. Daniel 28, chapter 3, verse 28 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. He's offering praises to the king of kings. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Okay, he's a new believer, guys. He's, he's doing his best here. He's like starting to get it. And it's like, yeah, he's got it. And then he's talking about cutting up people. And it's like, okay, we got to talk for a minute. You should go to growth track right now because <laughs> you're, not, you're not clearly all the way there. And then the king promoted... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This same king who was killing these men for not bowing to his fake God was now praising the one God. Listen, just show people that your life really has been changed by Jesus. Live differently, unashamedly, because here's a secret that your enemy doesn't want you to know. People really aren't all that frustrated or tired or angry at Jesus. See, people really haven't rejected Jesus as much as they think they have. What they are rejecting is Christians who don't live like Jesus. That's what people are tired of. What they're tired of is Christians who don't stand on their convictions. What they're tired of is Christians who shift and change with the world around them. When we stand firm in our faith and we just live like Jesus, it inspires others. It shows people what they desperately need. Standing firm shows them something different and something better. And if you really live it, then they will begin to admire it. we got to stand firm, church. We, we, we cannot be watered down by our culture. We can't just fade into the crowd. We believe God has called us to be a part of a movement in this city. We believe that God has called us to rescue the hearts of the broken in the city of Asheville. We believe that. But in order to do that, we're going to have to take territory. And if you're going to take territory, you're going to go to war with kings. There will be opposition. It will get hard on days. But we got to stand firm in what we believe in. And sometimes when we do this, when we live the way Jesus has called us to live, when we speak the truth that Jesus has called us to speak, it will inspire people and they will go from cursing to praising. I'm telling you, this happens. We can't just listen to the lies of our enemy. we got to stand firm and have courage and faith and believe that not every person will stand against us if we can learn how to stand for them. Let me encourage you today not just to be a, to, to, to be a voice in your community, not just an echo. We can give people something to live for and not against, but first, we've got to really live for it. So here's three simple things we can do today, and then we'll be all done. Three simple things that we can do to start standing firm today. First is stand in prayer. Stand in prayer. I think it all starts in prayer. I think every physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, every battle that you're going to face, that it's won in prayer. That's where it's got to begin. You've got to start 
by praying bold prayers. There's, a, there's actually an app you can, uh, you can get called the YouVersion Bible app, which it has all these de- devotions in it. It's got all these versions of the Bible in it. And if you've never picked a plan from there and read it every day, I want to suggest one to you. There's one called Dangerous Prayers. It's by Life Church, the actual uh, church that started the Bible app. It's called Dangerous Prayers. Take you five minutes to read it each day. And all it does is lay out some dangerous prayers for you to pray. You know what a dangerous prayer is? To say, God, give me a moment to stand firm today. God, bring me to a situation where I can stand firm today. we got to pray bold prayers, and God will answer them. It's time to stop praying from our knees and to start praying from our feet, church. It's time to get out of closets and quiet rooms and start praying bold prayers where people can hear them. We've got to stand firm in prayer you got to start praying that God will give you the courage to come forward in these moments and tell people who you are. you got to pray that God would give you the steadfastness that when everyone around you has started to shift this way, that you can say, no, my God has called me to be right here, and so I'm going to stay right here no matter what happens. you got to believe that even if people oppose you as a result of that, that God is good. you got to start this by talking to that God, by worshiping Him in prayer. We've got to stand In prayer, Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. In other words, pray your brains out. Pray with everything you've got. Study God's word. Trust his Holy Spirit so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Number two, let's stand for our purpose. Stand for my purpose. You see, if you want to make a difference, you've got to stand firm. But you've also got to discover your purpose. And once you've discovered that purpose, see, I believe that God inside each and every one of us, he created us on purpose for a purpose, that there's a dream he's got for you, that he's plans that he's got for you, that that he didn't make you just to exist in this life, that he made you to thrive in this world and the purpose he gave you based on the gifts that you have and and the passions that you have that have always been there, they're meant to lead you to this purpose. That's what the growth track is. It's our way of helping you discover that purpose. And one of the things the enemy wants us to believe is that our purpose is, is, is going to be drowned out in the world, that people are going to oppose it, that we're not strong enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not smart enough, that we're not equipped enough, that we don't have the abilities to live in this purpose, that our, our purpose isn't really this thing, that we're going to fail in this purpose. That's what the enemy wants us to to believe, and he will work hard to get that in your mind, to get that in your heart. But you got to stand firm in your purpose. God has called you to it. He'll see you through it. And so you've got to believe that God's given you this purpose for a reason. It's not just to, for church on Sundays. Now, I believe that's an important part of it, that when we work together as the body of Christ, that we can have a greater impact. But you've got to take your purpose out, out into the, into the workplace, into your neighborhoods. And, and that's kind of a scary thing to do. Because what if people come up against it? But you've got to stand firm in your purpose. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Always know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When you serve God in your purpose, it's never in vain. Stand firm in what God has made you to do. Last thing is this. Stand for God. Stand firm for the one who rescued you. Stand for God because he stood for you when nobody else would. Stand for God when you, because 
when you couldn't stand for yourself, he stood for you. He put it all on the line to stand up for you, sacrificed everything, gave everything for you, came for you when you needed him most. We sang that song a minute ago, Reckless Love. There's a lot of Christians that don't like that song because it refers to God's love is reckless and the theological argument is that God is sovereign and calculated and, and, and he has a plan. Nothing he does is reckless. And yes, I get that. That's great theology. But by human standards, to leave 99 sheep to pursue one is reckless. By human standards, to come for somebody as broken and evil and hurting and, and somebody with the capacity to hurt others that I had once and to come after me, by human standards, that'd be reckless. But that's what God does. He's never ashamed of us. He's, he's, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have shame for us. He doesn't have guilt for us. The story of the prodigal son, if you know it, there's this son that he abandons his father and he blows all the money and he, he, he loses everything and he's coming home and it says that he was expecting his father to just let him be a slave. He was hoping for that. But when his father saw him, he ran across this field and he wrapped his arms around him and the son starts to give this excuse. He starts to tell him, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I did all these things. And the father won't let him finish his sentence because he says, I'm here for you. I've come for you. I'm going to stand for you. His brother, he's a little bit upset that, this, that this, this brother is being welcomed back in. But the father says, no, no, we're family now. We don't, we don't have room for this. You see, he stood for you when nobody else would. And so we got to stand for him. We stand firm for God because he never stops standing firm for us. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says, Stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. If you turn tail and run, do you think I'll cover for you? In other words, if you don't stand up for me, why would I stand up for you? Stand firm for Jesus because he will stand firm for you. You know, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus was crucified and resurrected, did ministry for 40 days, and then after those 40 days, he ascended into heaven. He went back to his place with the Father. And every time we see a picture of him in the New Testament after that moment, it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Over and over again, it talks about him being seated at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting there. He's he's straight chilling, waiting for God to say, go get my kids. Waiting for God to say, go make the world right again. That's his heart. That's what Jesus wants. He wants to heal the broken world. Anyways, he's sitting there, except for one time, one time. There's one story in the Bible when it says he's not sitting anymore. See, there was a man named Stephen, and it was just a few years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. It was a tough time for the early church. See, the Jewish church at the time, the, the, the Pharisees, one sect of the Jewish church, were trying to stamp out Christianity. They were the ones that had Jesus crucified, and they wanted Jesus eradicated. But it just kept spreading. The message just kept spreading. But people preached no matter what might happen to them. People were getting arrested, thrown in jail. Nobody had been killed yet until Stephen stepped into the ball game. And they drug Stephen out of the city for preaching the name of Jesus. And these Pharisees were all standing there. And they gave him a moment to defend himself. And what he does is he says, listen, Jesus saved me, and and he can save you too. Basically, he just preaches a sermon to him, And so they decide to kill him. And they bury him halfway up to his waist in the dirt. And they all pick up rocks and they start throwing these rocks at him. And this was stoning him to death. They would throw rocks at you until you were nothing but a pile of rocks. And as the rocks are coming, it says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. 
and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When we stand up for God, he stands up for us. When we stand up for him, he stands up for us. We got to stand up for our faith, church. We got to stand up for God. He will stand for you. He will stand for you if you would just stand for him. You know, there's part of that story. This, this is in the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts was written by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know much about Paul, Paul became one of the main writers of the New Testament and an important church planner. The spread, God used him to spread Christianity all throughout the world in the first century, and he's one of the main reasons it survived as long, you know, that the message of God went forward into a new world. And Paul started off as one of these Pharisees, and in fact, it says that in this day when Stephen was being stoned, Paul was there. A young man named Saul, it was his name then, was standing there holding the coats of all those that were killing Stephen and giving his approval. And you know what I wonder? I wonder if Paul included this story when he was writing Acts because it was important to him. Because even though he opposed Stephen at that moment, one day when Jesus came for him, he looked back and he was inspired. So many times in Paul's life he would stand firm just the way that Stephen did that day. And I wonder if every time he thought about that man looking up, and seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of God and thought, if I will stand for God, he will stand for me. If I will stand for God, he will stand for me. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for standing for us, God. We thank you for coming and getting us, for, for being here for us, for pursuing us, God. I thank you that when I didn't deserve your your stand, God, when I didn't deserve your grace and your love, that you came for me, God, that you rescued me from myself, God. And so, Lord, I will stand for you. I will stand firm in this culture for you. I will be who you call me to be. I will live in my purpose, God. I will declare your truth, Father, every opportunity that I get. I won't water it down. I won't get out of the way. I won't let this world tell me what our church should be, what these messages should be. I won't let this world tell me what I should believe or who I should worship, God. I believe in you, and I worship you alone, Father. I praise your holy name, God. I just ask that we would be known as a people who stand firm for you, Lord, who stand firm, who love well, who don't stand against people, who care for our city and every person in it, who stand up for the people in our city and every person in it. But God, that we would be a people who stand firm no matter what for you. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.